0: Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. And I just, I wanna say this too, just thinking about baptism and the young people that follow the Lord and believers baptism, you know, each of them is on a journey And if it wasn't for mom and dad's godly example, and if it wasn't for the student ministry and the Sunday school teachers and kids' church workers and other folks who know the Lord that have invested in their lives, uh, they wouldn't be up here. And so we, we see that, we recognize that. And I just want to tell you again, those of you who are working in Kids Church, those of you who work with the Ignition Student Ministry, those of you that volunteer for Good News Clubs and help with Vacation Bible School, I just want to say one more time, it really is worth it. It really is worth it. And I am so happy that you're willing to serve that way and willing to volunteer in that regard. And some of you are sitting back saying, boy, I would like in on that. I would like to be part of that team. If so, make sure you see Pastor Josh or Carlin Friel, who leads our children's ministry. Make sure you chat with one of them and say, how can I plug in and be involved in making disciples as well? What a great opportunity to serve in that way. So this morning, as part of our uh, worship today, we're going to be opening God's word and talking about coming home. Coming home. And the reason we're discussing this today is because really what we began doing several weeks ago was looking at this idea of it's time to really experience the salvation that God has for us. And we were exploring what it means to have his forgiveness and freedom and to be rescued and to be transformed in the victory that we have in Christ. We've been looking at different passages talking about that. We're going to continue to talk about the impact of God's the salvation that God offers to us, how it impacts our lives, but we're taking these last couple images of salvation and we're clustering them together around the idea of coming home because they're all about relationships and they're all about our relationships not only with each other, but our relationships with God as well. It's interesting that salvation may be in an individual experience, but that individual experience is never in isolation. It's always with the idea of being in a community. And so throughout Scripture, you see where we need to be part of a family, and we're part of a community, and we're part of an army, and we're part of a a building that's built with lots of different blocks and stones. It's the idea we're part of a flock, but we're not just out there all by ourselves. We're to be in connection with other people as part of God's family. Now, later this coming month, when we hit Thanksgiving time, Until New Year's, that's called national indigestion season. And you know why, because of all the rich foods and all the parties and all the stuff that we eat and drink during that time as part of celebrating the holidays, and we do that. But that time of year for Christians is when we're celebrating God's goodness, and so we make a big turn toward God with thanksgiving and we're grateful and we practice that. And then as soon as Thanksgiving's over, we jump into Advent and we remember the coming of Christ and we celebrate Christmas. And, and here at the chapel, when we hit New Year's, we're remembering, hey, God's in control of all the times and seasons. And we want to surrender to him in a new, fresh way and, and just pray in the new year as well. And so it's a time of worship as well. But in our secular culture, and the culture at large, this time of year, you know, from Halloween into to Thanksgiving, into Christmas and New Year's, it's all about family. It's all about coming home. I'll be home for the holidays. You know, I can't wait over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. All that kind of stuff that we sing and say, these memories that we have, this idea of coming home because home is where you're loved and home is where you're welcomed and home is where you're included and home is where you belong, right? Not always because a lot of us go through the experience of coming home and it's terrible. It's miserable. Arguments, fighting, disagreements. I dare you to bring up politics at the Thanksgiving dinner table and see how far you get and how thankful you are. You'll be thankful when you leave, I bet. And We all have had, we all have had those kinds of experiences where going home wasn't as wonderful as we were hoping it would be. Maybe we don't get along with our folks. Maybe our folks are divorced or separated. Maybe I'm divorced or separated. Maybe our kids don't call. Maybe they're not coming home. Maybe there's other things. Maybe there's that one obnoxious uncle or aunt that just monopolizes everything. And you wish they would stay away from home. But no, they wind up getting invited again. This is actually this tension that we feel about coming home is indicative of a bigger problem in our culture. There was a survey that was conducted several years ago that indicated one out of four Americans says that they are lonely, that they are disconnected. They don't have any connection with any other people which is so incredible because those people still go to school or they're still working at a job, maybe a large factory or office. They're around people all the time at the mall and other places. They're online. They have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They're doing all kinds of texting and tweeting. And yet they would tell you, I have no one that I can confide in. And that's the definition of loneliness. I have no one that I could confide in. Maybe they're married. Maybe they have a house full of kids. But I'm still lonely, they would say. That loneliness, that disconnection that people talk about and feel is really one of the greatest problems that we have as individuals, as families, and as a community and as a country, as a world, where people are not connected with each other. They don't have someone that they can confide in. But really, this this disconnection, this sense of isolation, this sense of I don't belong anywhere is actually an indicator of a greater problem. And the greater problem is I'm not connected to God. It's a symptom of of a bigger problem. That bigger problem is that we're isolated from him, we're disconnected from him, we're separated from him. And we we don't have that connection. We don't feel like that we can even turn to God and rely on him. We're not sure he listens to our prayers. We're not not sure that he cares. Some of us are not even sure he's there. We feel lonely and isolated. The good news of the Bible, the gospel, is that God came to give you a personal relationship with him. The good news of the Bible, the good news of why Christ came was to give you a personal relationship with God, to remove the things that cause that isolation and estrangement and separation from God, to allow you to be forgiven by God and accepted with him and to be welcomed and included into his family. And that's what we want to begin exploring these next several weeks of what does it mean to come home and join God's forever family? because that's really what this is all about, joining God's forever family, the family that we'll be with for all eternity and be mighty glad that we are with them as well. So what I would like us to do is take our Bibles and look at a passage of scripture that talks about how we can become the friends of God because you know, before we start talking about family and connectedness that way, let's, let's just become God's friends. Let's find out what we can do to experience the peace of God and to understand that we truly are accepted by God and welcomed into a personal, loving, friendly relationship with Him. Isn't that an amazing thing that God would want to be your friend and would want you to have a relationship with Him? Isn't that something that all of us are longing for deep in our hearts? And it's true, we are longing for that. The good news is is that God wants to be our friend and He wants us to be at peace with Him And he doesn't want us to be isolated from him, estranged from him, cut off from him. He's made it possible for the enemies of God to become the friends of God because the Son of God came and made peace. And that's the good news. God turns his enemies into friends because Jesus has come and made peace. So here in Colossians chapter 1, we're reading this New Testament letter again. And here we are. We're on page 983. And I invite you to follow along as I start reading in verse 15, because we're really going to be focusing on 19 and following down to 23. But I want you to just to to get the scene, set the stage a little bit as we do this. Verse 15, it says, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Now, let me just take a moment and summarize what we just read together. Here we see that Jesus, the Son of God, is the fullness of everything that God is. Everything that God is was wrapped up in Jesus when he was born there in Bethlehem that first Christmas 2,000 plus years ago. And there he is, the invisible God is now in visible form. He is now in a bodily, physical human body form there among us, not just looking like a human, but 100% human in every way. There's all the goodness and deity and power of God wrapped up in that one human being. But the thing that's interesting about Jesus is not just that he's God made human, but that he's the God that created everything that there is, this passage says. He not only created everything that that there is, but he holds it all together. Every atom that threatens to burst apart because of the different forces inside of it, he holds it together. Every organism, everything that has life and breath, God holds it together. The tides, the the movements of the the plates on the planet, the surface of the earth, plates the uh, the tectonics of all of that, everything that's involved in the weather, everything that's taking place, God holds it all together. From the mightiest, largest galaxy that we can imagine, hundreds of thousands of light years across, to the littlest, tiniest moth that lands on a flower in your garden. He holds it all together. From Mount Everest to the littlest baby, He holds it all together. But not only is He creating it and holding it together, he holds it together and has created it for himself. He owns it. He is the owner and controller of all things. And not only is he the owner and controller and creator of all things, but he is the savior of the church. He's the head, it says. The ancients believed that the head was the source of life. It's not only the position of authority but it's the source of life to the rest of the body that the life power flowed from the head and that's the idea that the apostle Paul is getting across here is that Jesus Christ is the leader of the church but he's also the life of the church the life source of the church as well and so the church is utterly dependent upon him and not only that he's the first one who was raised from the dead he's the pioneer who shows everyone who trusts in him how they can rise from the dead as well So it's a new, resurrected, glorified family that follows Jesus. He's the leader of that group, the leader of that church. So when we see this, we see Jesus as awesome and as glorious and as beautiful as he is, as majestic and as powerful as he is. And I find it absolutely incredible that after he says that all about Jesus, how wonderful and fantastic he is, how awe-inspiring he is, notice what he says in verse, four, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This God who created everything who holds everything together, who owns everything, who leads His church, who rose from the dead, who displays His power in this way. He wants a personal relationship with you and with me. He wants us to live in peace with Him. And not just us with Him, but all of creation with Him. You might be saying, but I thought I was at peace with Him. I thought I had a personal relationship with Him. What what do you mean I'm not at peace with him? I want you to notice what it says in verse 21. Would you read this with me, please? And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we'll stop there. We'll get to verse 23 in just a moment. There was a problem, the problem that separates us us from God, the problem that breaks the relationship that we should have with our creator and sustainer, the head of the church, the holy God who loves us and made us. The reason why we don't have a personal relationship with him is because of what verse 21 describes. It describes a position of hostility that we have toward God. We have a natural hostility toward God. I know that seems hard to imagine, but look how he describes it. And you, and he's saying, yeah, you, everybody here listening to this, you too, preacher. And you who who once were alienated and hostile in mind by doing evil deeds. This is what you were like. This is what I was like. This is what we're like naturally in our relationship with God. We are estranged from him and enemies to him. Not very flattering, is it? If I'm trying to get you to come back to this church, I just blew it, I know it, I know it. Because it says that we are alienated from God, we're isolated from God, we're estranged from God. And not only that, it says we're hostile toward him. We're his enemies. Now think about this for a minute. Why in the world would God say that we were his enemies? Why would he say that we're estranged from him? He says this because you and I are sinners. You and I have broken his law. You and I have hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've offended him. We've broken his laws, and we stand guilty and ashamed before him. We are his enemies. The Bible makes that abundantly clear that even though God created us and loved us, we are the enemies of God. And I know that's, that's hard to hear, hard to stomach. You're maybe even struggling with whether or not to agree with that. Hear me out. But the truth is, is we all have a natural animosity toward God because we, we choose to do our own things. Uh, how many of you are raising toddlers? How many times a day do you hear, no? I mean, this is the child you carried in your womb for nine months that you brought into this world. You change their diaper. You feed them. You give them a safe place to live. You take them to the doctor. You give them toys to play with. And all they can say is no. No. And yet our Creator, our Heavenly Father, has the same kind of relationship with us, His children. Because we tell Him no all the time. We lie, we cheat, we steal. We fantasize about being with other people that are not our spouses. We are unfaithful in keeping our promises. We do all kinds of things. We're in it for ourselves instead of living for others. We're in it for our own benefit instead of glorifying God. We're worried about what's in it for me and how do I get the glory? How do I get the praise? How do I get people to notice me instead of how do I serve God and bring honor to his name? And I like what I heard a preacher say recently that this idea of being a sinner and an enemy of God is not just because I break God's law, but I also trample on his love. See, God's not just up in heaven, the great rule keeper. You better do that. I saw you do that. That's a tally against you. That's a demerit for you. That's a bad mark for you. You didn't keep the rules. You didn't perform right. You didn't measure up. God does see and know all things and hold us accountable, there's no question. But it's not just about breaking rules that makes us a sinner. It's about trampling on his love. Because you see, God loves you. And he created you and he knows all about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you're really struggling with. He knows what you deep down inside you really long for. He knows what your hopes and dreams are. Even the deepest, most wonderful things that you hope for that you haven't even told your spouse about, never have shared with your parents or children, You've never told your best friend. God knows what you're thinking. He knows all about that. He delights in you. He loves you. He created you. And you belong to him. But when we rebel against him, when we spurn his love and reject it, we're trampling on it. I don't want anything to do with it because I love myself and I want to go my own way. We trample on the love of God. We reject his plan for us. We go our own way. And because of that, we are estranged from God, cut off from him, isolated from him, and outcast with him, and we are his enemies. We are hostiles in God's eyes because we rejected him and his way and his love. That's the truth. That's true of every single human being that's ever lived and is alive today. But God was not willing to let that broken relationship remain broken. He still loves. He still loves you. He still cares for you. He still longs for you to have a relationship with Him. And so that's why we read then Oh, and by the way, let me just point out something that he says here. It says that we were hostile and mind-doing evil deeds. Can I just say it this way? Not just in our actions, but in our thoughts and emotions and our ideas and attitudes. We're we're his enemies and hostile through and through. (laughs) Slice us down the middle and all through us, you'll see that hostility and animosity that's naturally there against God because we want to go on our own own way. But he now, it says in verse 22, he now reconciled people that were alienated from him and people who were hostile or enemies toward him. He now reconciled those folks in his body, by flesh, by his death in order to present you, those people, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God was willing to reconcile with us. You see, if verse 21 is about the hostility that keeps us from having a relationship with God, then then verse 22 is, is about the harmony that God has sought to build between us, the bridge He's tried to build between us, the way He's tried to reconcile with us. And the thing that's absolutely amazing here is that God takes the initiative for the reconciliation. It's it's not God coming to you and saying, oh, would you please take me as your God? I'm so lonely and brokenhearted. if you don't come and be with me. God's not needy like that. He's not begging you to come to him in the sense of that he wants you to forgive him and accept him. No. He's begging you to come to him because he knows that's what's best for you. I beg you, he says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, be reconciled to God. Come to me. I have made everything possible for you to be forgiven and accepted and welcomed and included with me. Now, he describes how he does that in verse 22. And so what we read here is this. He has now reconciled us, how? In the body of his flesh by death. This sounds a a bit gory, but that's what's required for reconciliation to take place, for the the animosity and hatred that separates two warring, competing factions. The, The animosity, the reason for their strife and discord has to be removed. And that removal of that discourse often requires a sacrifice. It often requires suffering. If you're going to forgive somebody, it will cost you. You will have to suffer to forgive them. You'll have to give up your rights for revenge. You'll have to give up your rights to have retaliation. They may never truly ever repent and come back to you. They may never be trustworthy, but we're still called to forgive and let go of that judgment that we want to inflict upon them. God is willing to do that because he sent his son Jesus into this world and he took upon the body of his flesh, he took our sins. He took our guilt. He took our shame. He took the curse that we have upon us as human beings. All humans are cursed because we've rebelled against God. We've gone our own way and we're cursed in that way. Jesus took that curse, that shame, that guilt, that sin upon Himself and He went to the cross and He died for us. The amazing thing is this, is that Jesus became an outcast. Jesus was alienated so that you and I would never be cast out and we would never be alienated from God. He was rejected so we would never be rejected. He suffered for us so that we would be welcomed and included and experience the love of God for this. He did that suffering and he was cast out and was rejected when he went to the cross and died for our sins. He was being judged in our place as our substitute so we could be reconciled to God. The animosity, the guilt and shame that keep us from God, he removed that by dying in our place for us. He suffered and died there for us so that we could be forgiven and accepted by God. And he did all this for the purpose to present us, and by present, he's talking about in the future when we stand before God on the last day, standing before God and there we are, his people in a relationship with him, and we've been forgiven and we've been accepted, and he says that that moment he's doing this saving, he's doing this reconciliation so that we will be holy and uh, that we will be holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And the thing I find is interesting in the original language that this was written in, the apostle Paul uses three words that all start with the, the Greek letter alpha. It's the Greek A, first letter of the alphabet. And so, you know, preacher, uh, Paul's a good preacher. He's got three points that they all rhyme. There's alliteration and there probably is a poem at the end of it too, for all I know. Good sermon. And as he's doing this, he's trying to, emphasize the three things that God is trying to do for us. And so you could say it's, it's like this for us. You can stand before God undefiled. You can stand before God unblameable. You can stand before God unblemished. You're, you're pure in his sight. You're clean. You're fully accepted to, by him, and, and you belong to him. That's the idea of holiness, that you belong to God, and you're his property, and he is yours and you belong to him. And then the idea of being unblameable is, is the fact that we have no accusation. It sticks. It's like we've been coated with a spiritual Teflon, and whenever anybody accuses us of being filthy, a reject, no good, worthless, maybe you've had parents tell you that or friends tell you that. A friend of mine said recently how sad it was when his sister said to him, I'm so disappointed in you. And it was like a knife in the heart That doesn't have to stick to us anymore. When the devil accuses us of being a failure, of being a sinner, if we've put our trust in Christ, he's our defense attorney and he defends us before the Father and no accusation from the devil, no slander from the devil can stick to us and mar us and scar us. It won't. Because we're blameless in the sight of God. And we can be blameless before others as well. And he says that we're unblemished as well that there's no stain or stench that comes from our shame, that comes from our guilt, our failure, our sin. That there's no stain or stench. And you know what it's like, you've you've probably got that favorite shirt or blouse and and you're probably a lot neater eater than I am, okay, you're, you're more careful with your food, you know how to use your napkin and stuff like that, but I, you know, every tie I have has a stain on it, that's why I don't wear ties, no, I'm kidding. But you know, every tie I have has a stain on it because either coffee or spaghetti sauce or something chicken grease, I don't know what it is. There it is. There, you know, it's, I'm a preacher, right? Okay. So there it is. It's, it's, on, it's on it. And, and you know, sometimes you, you pull that shirt out and it got washed and you thought you got rid of that stain, but if the light's right, you still see it. You still see it. Other times you have a stain, you wash away the stain, but there's a smell, like when it baby spits up on you or something like that. There's just that aroma that's with you. Watch out, Dan. Here it comes. At, sorry for bringing it up. But, uh, you know, there's, 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 it's just there. And spiritually speaking, there are stains that you and I can't wash away, and we can't get rid of the stench. The shame that sticks and stigma that comes with it. But Jesus can, and he does. And so when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you reconcile with God and he welcomes you into a relationship of peace, of being welcomed and included and fully accepted and fully approved. God looks at you and says, you're good enough. I love you. I'm glad you're here. And the stains of our sin, he washes away so that they're spotless. And the stench of our sin, he washes away so that there's a fragrance, a beautiful fragrance and not the the stink of our sin. And the accusations fall off because we've been made holy in His sight and we belong to Him. It's the transformation and change that Jesus makes in our lives when we're reconciled with Him. It's the the fact that before Him as our position, we are holy and blameless and unreproachable in the sight of God. But notice what it says in verse 23 because this, this bothers me a little bit. Because I'm thinking, yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making me clean. If you knew how big a screw-up I was, and the Lord does know how big a screw-up I am. so. But if you knew, I would just say this, and I'm not going to tell you today all about it. You'll figure it out on your own. But uh, Lord, just wash away my sin. I thank you that you've done that. Thank you that Jesus has done that. But verse 23 starts with the word if. Hmm, I knew there was a catch. I knew there was a catch. And I just wanna say that there isn't a catch. There is no catch, all right? It is talking the difference between verse 22 and verse 23 is one is what God declares you to be and has made you to be because of Christ. And verse 23 is about your experience. How do you experience that in everyday life, whatever situation you're in, whatever has happened to you and whatever you've done, how do you experience that forgiveness and cleansing and live in that reconciliation, that peace with God, that finally being God's forever friend, how do you live that every day? And notice what he says in verse 23, if you continue, he's emphatic there, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. In other words, you keep on trusting him you keep on believing what he says about what he's done to forgive you of your sins, how his death on the cross paid for all our sins. It's not you paying for it or me paying for it, working it off somehow by you know, doing good deeds that God will somehow forgive me of my sins or make me approvable in the sight of God. No, Jesus did all the work. I put my faith in him, I rely on him, and I don't move away from that. I stick with him. And I'm settled there like, like a house built on the foundation, firmly anchored on that foundation. I'm deeply rooted in him. I'm committed to this, and I'm not wavering or budging. In fact, he uses He then describes it in a negative way, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, like an earthquake coming and shaking you off the foundations, not moving from that. No, I'm grounded, I'm stable, I'm steadfast on the hope of the gospel, the confidence that Jesus has done all of this so that I could have peace with God and a relationship with him, that I'm not budging from that, that nothing moves me from that, that I stay connected, dependent, loyal to him. You see, everything that Jesus did is my hope. I'll never have peace with God without Jesus. I'll never be acceptable in God's sight without Jesus. I'll never be accepted and welcomed into God's family and included in God's family without Jesus. That'll never happen without Jesus. But because of Jesus, it's guaranteed. It's my confidence. It's my hope. I rest on that. That's what we have in Christ. So don't move away from that. And he reminds them at the very end of this, talking to these new, these new believers that he's writing to, he says, this is the gospel that you heard, and you're hearing it today, and this is the gospel that's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And it's kind of a hyperbole just to get across the point. Everybody's heard about this, and it's been preached everywhere. It's the universal message of Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead and trusting in him. You have peace with God, and there's no more condemnation for you. That's your hope. And beyond that, he says, I, am I Paul, I'm a minister of this. And you could say it this way, I'm a distributor. <laughs> I'm a distributor of this. I'm the one that goes out and declares this. I've been given this, I manage it, and I declare it to others. I'm a distributor. And I just want you to know that you got the real deal. This is the message that'll change your life and give you peace with God. Now, if it is true, and I assure you it is, If it is true that God turned His enemies into friends because Jesus made peace, if that is true, then what are you and I supposed to do because of it? What do we do with it? You know, God came and He dealt with the the hostility. He brought about harmony through Christ's death and resurrection. And now we we can truly have this hope of this acceptance and inclusion in God's family. We truly can become the forever friends of God. What do we do with that? Well, Apostle Paul, writing to another group of Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I've I've been reconciled to God, we have peace with God. I beg you in Christ's stead, as an ambassador for Christ, be reconciled to God. If you've experienced peace with God, share that peace with others. If you've experienced God's forgiveness, then tell others how they can experience that peace. And if you've been reconciled to God and welcomed in the family of God, then make it your business to welcome as many people as you can into the family of God. Show them how they can be welcomed and included. That's another way of saying evangelism. How to welcome and include others in the family of God by telling them of all that God did through Christ so they could be reconciled to Him. The beauty of all this is that God wants you to have His peace but not just for yourself. He wants others to have it as well. And when he talks about peace, because that's what reconciliation does, is put us in a position of peace with God. The people that were formerly enemies and hostile to one another, he's brought about peace. And the peace he's referring to there is a sense of well-being and wholeness. It has this idea of not just a, a ceasing of hostility, but it's, it's like being welcomed into God's family and experiencing wholeness and well-being and happiness and joy and, and being accepted and included. It's, all this is wrapped up in that piece. The Hebrews have one word for all that I just said there. It's shalom. And that's what he's referring to here. A sense of well-being and wholeness that comes from being with God, through Christ. Share that with others. Don't keep it to yourself. If there's there's been a breakdown in relationship between you and your spouse, bring some reconciliation into that. Take the first step and offer forgiveness and make amends. If you and your children are not getting along or you and your siblings are not getting along, or you and a coworker, take the first step and try to live in peace with them if it's it's possible and offer forgiveness. You don't have to publicly, I'm forgiving you, how big of me, you know, don't do that. (laughs) that. Nobody likes that. But in your heart say, God, I don't like what happened, I'm still mad about what happened, but I'm gonna let go of getting revenge and I'm gonna release them from this and forgive them. I choose to do that, it's between you and me, Lord, I choose to do this. And then begin acting in a forgiving way toward them. If you haven't been reconciled to God, if you're out there and you recognize I'm his enemy and I am estranged, some of you are still chafing at that, I get it, but some of you are saying, nope, that's me. I have broken his laws, I have trampled on his love, I know i'm a sinner yes that's me i'm his enemy i deserve his judgment god is saying to you be reconciled to me come and receive peace and become my friend trust in my son admit that you're lost admit that you're my enemy and i will make you my friend i'll reconcile with you he took the initiative for that I'll be up front afterwards and I'd be happy to talk with you and show you how you can trust in Christ and be reconciled to God. One more thing, I wanna say to you, my dear Christian friend, my brother or sister that's here, you're saying, boy, I sure hope those people who are lost and enemies of God, I hope they're listening today, because Pastor Scott's really giving it to them. I know a bunch of you are saying, I wish he'd hurry up. Okay, I get that, I get that too. I just wanna say that this message of reconciliation is for you, child of God. It is for you today, and I'm not just talking about getting along with other people that you don't get along with. I'm talking about in your relationship with God, continuing in the faith, continuing in your relationship with Christ, living in that peace relationship with God day by day. You don't have to perform for his approval anymore. You don't have to earn his favor anymore. You don't have to try to impress God anymore. Hey, look at me, God. I just memorized a Bible verse. Answer my prayer, please. I just gave a big offering. I just volunteered in the nursery. I get a gold star for that one. You see all those diapers? Wow, it was my Christian duty, okay, on that one. None of those things earn God's favor or anything like that the favor has been earned by Christ who was outcast for you who was rejected for you who died for you on the cross so you could be accepted and welcomed and included as God's friend so live in that just live in that and live your life as a great big thank you to God Live your life as, I am so glad I have peace with you. I might not have peace with anybody else. Maybe nobody else is willing to welcome or or receive me, but you do, God, and I thank you for that. And that joy gives me strength. That joy helps me move forward. That joy gives me hope. That joy helps me go on. Maybe no one will come and talk to me. Maybe no one will come and see me. Maybe I feel like there's a... Lord, you're there. And that peace I have with you, that reconciliation I have with you, helps me go on and do what I need to do to live a life that says thank you for what you've done. Isn't it amazing? God took his enemies and he made them his friends because Christ came and made peace. Do you trust and hope in that? I truly hope you do. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, I, I thank you that, Jesus, you were willing to come and put yourself in the middle of this great conflict and you humbled yourself and you went to the cross and you died for our sins and you rose from the dead and you conquered all the powers of hell in doing that and you also took my sin and shame and guilt and our sin and shame and guilt and you, you crushed it through your death that we might be forgiven and accepted and welcomed and included with you, God. Thank you. I pray that you would stir in our midst that everyone here who has not yet found peace with God and been reconciled to him, that they would choose to trust in Christ and do that today. I pray for every Christian who's struggling with trying to earn your approval and try to, you know, who believes or thinks in some way that they're not good enough and and, uh, help them to see that they're good enough in Christ and that he does love and approve of them because of what Jesus did to reconcile them. And I pray that those of us who are struggling with relationships that are broken or we see relationships that are broken, help us to be peacemakers, Lord. In this political season where everybody seems like they're angry, mad, disrespectful and not trusting others, Lord, draw us together and help us take the lead and being peacemakers. May we identify with the party of Jesus always and glorify his name always because he is our God who forgave us and gave us peace. Thank you. We give all these things to you and trust you to bring glory to your name and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.